podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you, if you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing out there? It is Kate here. Today, I have got all your latest property news coming up, so do stay tuned for that. First up, I have a very, very special guest on our show today. Her name is Eliza Owen. She is the head of residential research Australia at Core Logic. She has a wealth of experience in property data, analysis, and reporting. She worked as an economist at Residex, a research analyst at Domain Group, and she was previously the commercial real estate and construction analyst at CoreLogic. Eliza is passionate about all things economy and property, and the two of us have a chat about a recent report that she is the co-author on about women and property, and that is coming up now. Stay tuned. Eliza, a massive welcome to the female investor. We are honoured to have you. Further to my main introduction to our podcast episode just now. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and all about CoreLogic, who I will tell you now I reference all the time. (laughs) Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. That's wonderful. Well, Kate, thanks for having me. It's a a pleasure to be here chatting to you uh, this afternoon. So I am basically responsible at CoreLogic for telling the story of what's happening in the Australian housing market. For those who aren't familiar with CoreLogic, we are a leading property data and analytics firm. So we create analytics, products and solutions across various industries from real estate to banking and finance, where we work on automated valuations of property. We service government, we service construction, we service all all sorts of organisations with what I think is incredibly sophisticated analytics as well, huge depth and and breadth of property data that we've had for a long period of time. And for myself, I 
basically I've, I've been working in property data for a, a really long time, probably about 10 years, mm. studied economics. And while I was studying, I was working part-time in a property data firm and have kind of just um, progressed in, in that space. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know a fair bit, I guess, now about the housing market and probably not much else, <laughs> the result <laughs> of that trajectory, but uh, I feel like I'm just in an incredibly privileged mm. position and, and um, space to be able to utilise the analytics here. Mm. And did you find that you, did you gravitate naturally towards property while you were studying or was it more that was the job that was available, you did it and therefore you kind of, it gets into your blood, right? Because it's. Yeah, uh, it really does. (laughs) I started studying economics in high school and I became fascinated with the study because it's all about human behaviour and incentives and how that's expressed through things like money, assets, Yeah. And then I think, yeah, I did just kind of fall into property because of where I was working. Mm. Um, it's it's one of those things where I would go from not really knowing anything about real estate, not having that much of an interest in it, to up at two, three in the morning watching Escape to the Country or <laughs> whatever whatever real yes, estate show. We all do and, that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I still love watching those shows and looking at listings. And yeah, it's it's an incredible expression of human behavior, how we organize ourselves, you know, the, the structure of cities and, and fluctuations in different parts of the market. So yeah, there's there's so much to unpack, you know, being able to to lead some of the research in that space. Yes, yes. So lovely segue there. Thank you. So like I said. <laughs> I have been reading and following your work in particular, but obviously CoreLogics too, for a long time. I reference you guys all the time in my news videos, in, you know, blogs, um, everything that you guys do really. But to just to explain to all our lovely listeners out there why I wanted to talk to you specifically right now is that, so March 21, uh, CoreLogic released its inaugural Women in Property report for Australia and New Zealand. And just now, March 2022, we have its lovely follow-up publication, Women in Property, One Year On. So to quote that report, the global environment of low interest rates has contributed, and I love the fact that you said contributed, not because of, but contributed, which I think is spot on, to an extraordinary upswing in residential property prices across both countries. Analysis by CoreLogic suggests that women have less share of property ownership than men, meaning they are disproportionately disadvantaged by recent wealth gains from real estate. So we're going to dig into that a little bit more shortly. But Eliza, you are the the head author, head of everything. Obviously, you're running the show over there. But the author of this report I'm really, really keen to know kind of, I guess, on a personal level too, but what instigated the the compiling and the writing of the report in the first place before we dig into some of those key insights that we have? Yeah, it's a great question. I've never actually been asked this question about Um, (laughs) it. It actually started from our banking and finance team. Mm. It started with that lens of obviously an exercise of, uh, how CoreLogic could do some good in contributing to the yes. conversation around gender wealth gap, yeah. uh, gender parity in, in real estate. But it was really our 
banking and finance team who've started to investigate how do we come up with gender ownership applications and, and, and identify that across the market. So one of our analysts, Anna Russell, such an incredible uh, like data analyst and yes. focus kind mm-hmm. of person. And, and actually this whole report really was a bunch of extraordinary women across the business coming mm-hmm. and working on the report, which is something that I really love about it as well. Yeah. And she realised that we could take first name information that we mm-hmm. had property across Australia and New Zealand and wash that against API services and, and data services that could then assign or infer, I would say, a gender for a first name, mm. and take that information and put it back onto the individual properties and mm. sort of mm. build, build the research from there. So once we figured that we could do that, we started cutting the data by region and, um, you know, in, in mm. this creation of the report by property type and ownership structure and it's just been able to illuminate uh, a little more of of a space that was previously a a black box which is what what is the wealth gap like in Australia. Yes and obviously our our podcast and videos that we do are very much aimed at all the lovely ladies out there we don't mean to alienate men obviously you know and a lot of our information and strategy advice is obviously applicable to both genders but you know our our topic's very much meant to encourage and motivate and inspire females to get onto the property ladder sooner for a reason right and this is why I think some of those key insights that the report highlights are extraordinary and exactly that motivational right and I don't wish to sound like a broken record everyone but this stuff is really really important so Eliza I've, I've got my notes here but if you want to run us through some of your your highlights I've got some too you know so between us I think we can uh, we can get through most of it right <laughs> I think the yeah, for the, sure. yeah look the 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 overwhelming message is that men have a greater rate of dwelling ownership than women, both in Australia and slightly less so in New Zealand, strangely. <laughs> Not sure why that is. Mm. There are also some quite distinct regional variations in female home ownership rates, for example, being 32% in Sydney, greater Sydney, I should say, and 21% in regional Western Australia. So those are just some of those initial things that leapt out at me. Keen to hear some of your key insights and highlights. Tell us more. Yeah, so across both Australia and New Zealand, we saw that men had a higher rate of home ownership inferred. Um, I think the difference between Australia and New Zealand is that New Zealand has more joint ownership of property. Mm. So there's male ownership, there's female ownership, and then there's male and female ownership. Um, and for New Zealand, that male and female ownership structure makes up more than half of the properties we mm-hmm. analyze. In Australia, I think property is a little more utilised as an investment asset. So you may have more instances of single property ownership. And when we looked at rates of female ownership, mm-hmm. uh, that's sitting at 26.6%. That includes properties that are owned by more than one female but most of that ownership type is is single 
and and same with men. So, um, yeah, I thought it, it was really interesting, as you say, that at the national level we've got about 26% of properties owned by women based on our inference, 29.9%, so almost a, a 30% of properties mm. owned by men, and then that 3.5% owned jointly. So at the state, territory, capital city, regional levels, there is more variance. Female home ownership tends to be lower among regions where I would say men have a really dominant representation in, in higher paid sectors. Interestingly, when you compare rates of female home ownership and typical dwelling value, there's what you would call a um, positive correlation. So the more expensive an area is, mm. actually the higher rate of female ownership we yes. observe. It's hard to say why that is, but when we start to dig down in some of the ownership type, we see that the eastern suburbs of Sydney, for example, is somewhere, something where, you know, over a third of properties analysed were owned by women, mm. but also a really big unit market mm. and units affordable, accessible, yeah. and some women would also maybe say they're more secure um, in the fact that you might have intercom systems, know your neighbours, or job prospects. So factors like that could all be at play when it comes to those relatively high rates of home ownership. Yes, and also there's a very high, uh, it's obviously funny you should say eastern suburbs because that's exactly where I'm sitting with a view of them today in the pouring rain, but I'm looking <laughs> at the uh, University of New South Wales, UNSW, at my window. I can see the Royal Randwick, the hospital. Typically health and education have a very high female workforce, percentage of the female workforce, and as you say, higher unit uh, the percentage of unit dwellings. So I think there is very much a case for that too. Yes, agreed. And some other things that I drew out from your section in the report, you know, why does ownership matter, are things like, according to the Reserve Bank of Australia, housing makes up 55% of household wealth in Australia. That has risen quite, that percentage has risen quite a bit in the past couple of years. And that the difference in net worth between property owners and renters is Huge. Now, that obviously is, you know, everyone's going to say, well, no, Sherlock, but it's common sense. But it's it's a point that we really need to just keep driving home how important property ownership is. doesn't necessarily have to be your home, but property ownership, be it an investment mm. or your home. And that things like the security, as you say in your report, the security of tenure in other words, the type of occupancy, be it, you know, whether you're an owner-occupier or a renter, and disproportionate wealth gains of property ownership may actually make women feel more empowered to have children. You know, the, the, there's real implications on the economy in general of an area when you think and you look at and examine and analyse the percentage of female ownership of property that I, in honestly, hadn't actually occurred to me <laughs> from that sense, right? Because I'm always looking at investment, that kind of future. One of the other many other things that I found really fascinating is statistics like when you factor in housing that the poverty rates are 42% among renters, over 65 in Australia, compared with 6% of outright homeowners. Now that's obviously a huge, a huge difference. These rates will be higher when you factor in, I think, just women by themselves, right? 
And then continuing with stats like, you know, the median values of property that surged 22% in the, in the 12 months to January 22. We have had extraordinary growth across many property markets in Australia, right, in the last year and a half. This is not normal mm-hmm. kind of growth rate. And yeah. when you then compare that with the gender pay gap, which stands at around 14% at November 21, and what I another thing that I loved your chart of uh, men on average will have a greater potential, obviously because of that, to accumulate their deposit faster, to get into a property sooner, and based on a twenty percent deposit, on the average median price of a seven hundred thousand dollar property, men can save that in six and a half years. It will take a woman on average a year longer to save the same amount which could equal women tending to buy a lower-priced property. doesn't necessarily mean it's in an inferior location, but it's nevertheless a lower-priced property, right? Now, I did some calcs around this really quickly because that's the kind of nerdy thing that I love to do. So if you think about a male buying that $700,000 property with the 20% deposit and a female buying the $600,000 property at the same time with the 20% deposit that she has saved, the difference in growth, if you look at a 5% average annual growth rate over a 15-year period, is nearly $200,000, the difference in that that annual growth of the male and the female buying at the same time, one buying a higher price property, one buying a lower price property. Now that is a massive difference, obviously $200,000 to somebody's retirement plan if you've bought that property. I think, yeah, for me, the thing that stands out as, as a you know younger person and someone who hasn't managed to get on the property ladder yet, mm. being in Sydney and these being very expensive, yes. it's not, about the capital growth, but it's about your situation in retirement. Mm. If you are no longer on your full-time income, high earnings, you know, if, mm. if you're enough to have all of that, if you hit retirement and you're still subject to the private rental market, that's where the real difference yes. in, you know, about those stats about poverty versus a comfortable retirement, that's taking into account housing costs. Mm. So, still have to pay rent if you still have to service a mortgage by the time you hit retirement that's where you can really be in trouble and yeah. not have enough money left over to be comfortable so it, it is from both of those facets and I guess one of the findings from the report that was really startling is just the difference in home ownership between houses and units yes of male and females mm. the fact that men own um, about I think it was 28% of, of houses that we analysed yeah. and women had this relatively low ownership rate of about 23%. In the past decade, annualised growth in the house asset has been about 6% yeah. annually. So compare that to 4% in, in unit mm. values and, again, mm. the idea that there's greater accumulation in the mm. house segment for mm. men over time, which mm. is quite frustrating. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And again, if you look, if you apply those growth rates to, you know, that example I just gave, well, that you guys kind of give in your report, you know, that $700,000 property at a six, I gave a 5% growth rate. So just as an average, right. But if you apply the 6% growth Mm. rate on an average, obviously it's not going to grow exactly 6% every year. Some years it'll be more, some it'll be less. 
and then apply, you know, that to perhaps a unit that the female may have bought at 4%, again, that that discrepancy is going to be even more than the $200,000 in 15 years' time that I've just quoted. It's it's These are significant amounts mm. of money and differences, and they they make a big difference to your capacity to then build equity to potentially buy more property, you know, to really yeah. get yourself into an even a better position in your in for your retirement planning or you know and when I say retirement that doesn't have to be 65 but you know it gives you options a little bit sooner you know in your 50s perhaps or gives you options in terms of not having to work for a living when you're retired or technically trying to retire you know so Eliza did you know with all the lovely ladies that you collaborated with on on this report which I think is awesome did you guys have any other sort of insightful discussions around the topic and what might you know what can we do about this it's I mean short of going to your boss and demanding more money what do we do (laughs) as women you know to (laughs) what do we do as as females in this environment to improve to improve our futures so there's multiple different angles. I think when we first released this report, we highlighted the importance of the gender pay gap mm. in um, accumulation of a deposit. The thing about official gender pay gap statistics is that they look at the difference in full-time workers. Yeah. Yeah. Full-time workforce is largely comprised of men mm. and the part workforce, which has lower compensation, mm. is dominated by women. There are further discrepancies there. So an obvious one for me is to look at that parity in the workforce and the parity of the pay gap and say, how do we encourage greater equality in things like parental leave that would enable more women to potentially be in the full-time workforce? How do we condition women from an early age that they are capable of doing some of these high-paid jobs But also how do we ensure society properly compensates women and female-dominated sectors like nurses, teachers, these kind of industries as well, which, you know, through the pandemic more than ever, I think we've realised just how important and underpaid they are. Uh, So so that's kind of that workforce, that, that pay gap element. Then there's the actual engagement with real estate from a you know, banking and finance perspective, Mm. how do we enable women onto the property market sooner? I think there's a really important education piece there because on average in Australia, women have lower rates of financial literacy than men. Yeah. I do think it's great to empower women when they are in their, you know, job and are interested in, in buying property, but ideally it would start from a really young age. Yes. Mm. I didn't know, you know, what economics was when I was a teenager until I had a teacher come to me and tell me, I think you'd be really good at this subject. Mm. That kind of intervention, which I was privileged enough to have because I went to a good school and I went to a school where, you know, teachers could do that kind of one-on-one targeting and, and intervention, that completely changed the trajectory of my life wow. and has probably, you know, made me wealthy and, and better off as a result. Mm. So, th- you know, that there's that kind of element. And then I think there's the, the government policy interventions. 
What's interesting is that access to low deposit loans guarantees from government, like in the form of the first home loan deposit scheme, for example, mm-hmm. or the family home guarantee, mm-hmm. first home loan deposit scheme has seen greater parity in its uptake between men and women than the broader financial market, according yeah. to the research. Mm-hmm. So there's an example of an intervention that helps create more equality yeah. in ownership. Mm-hmm. And then there's family home guarantee, which is, of course, targeting single parents, which yeah. are most often women. So, yeah. yeah, again, that is a um, mm. uh, another policy that kind of uh, uh, it helps women proportionally. Um, so I think a combination of all of those things is something that is going to help, something that might already be helping a bit. And I hope that we start to see more parity as we refresh this analysis over time. Mm. Thank you, love. Absolutely. And, you know, that is uh, without, you know, inserting the blatant plug, which I'm about to, the the entire purpose of our book, The Female Investor, to motivate and inspire everyone to, or ladies, to, to, to really be aware, to not be fearful, to just, you know, to really think about these things and know that you are capable and I don't know, deserving and all those things to to make this happen. I think it's really, I think it even starts there, you know, just knowing that that's possible and it needs to happen, you know, so that we don't read these scary stats for too much longer, (laughs) you know. So, which is what I think was so powerful about your report and everyone needs to read it and the download link will be in the conversation description everyone so please do download it go to core logic women and property one year on it's really powerful reading um, you know it's it's the, the stats and all the facts speak for themselves so eliza thank you so much really really appreciate your time your insights i think what you guys do is awesome really you know second to none information out there (laughs) i'm sure you won't mind me saying and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again really soon amazing thank you for having me here it's been great So what did you think of that, everyone? Isn't she wonderful? I do encourage you all to go and download that report. I've linked it in our episode description. So go click on the link, download the report and have a read. You can never be too educated in this game is what Nicola and I say. And coming up now, all your latest property news. More first home buyers will be able to enter the property market following the federal budget's commitment to double the number of places in the Home Loan Guarantee Scheme. The scheme has already helped around 60,000 Australians buy a home since it was introduced in January 2020. The budget announcement means that there will be 50,000 places on offer this year. The scheme helps first home buyers to purchase a new or existing home with a deposit of as little as 5%. Other commitments to housing include 10,000 guarantees each year under a new regional home guarantee, which is uh, going to be running from the 1st of October 2022 until the 30th of June 2025. 
There will also be 5,000 guarantees each year from the 1st of July 22 to the 30th of June 25 to expand the Family Home Guarantee, which helps single parent homes with children buy their first home or to re-enter the housing market with a deposit of as little as 2%. That is not much money, is it? The first home guarantee will be expanded to 35,000 commitments per year. Changes to negative gearing have been ruled out by both major political parties in the lead-up to the federal election, according to the Real Estate Institute of Australia. Now, some of you might remember that a few years ago, and in fact the last time we that we were coming into the lead-up of a federal election, the Labour Party took a policy to the elections that was going to be scrapping negative gearing, and quite frankly, it caused havoc. They completely underestimated the number of mum and dad and just mums invested that there are out there. The Real Estate Institute of Australia reveals that it has a commitment from Labour, who, like I said, had flagged removing negative gearing in the lead-up to the last election, that it would retain negative gearing if it were to win the election this time. The Real Estate Institute president says that this should give people the confidence to keep investing in the Australian property market. And that was a bit of an issue last time because, like I said, in that lead up to the election, everything stopped. A lot of investors stopped buying because they wanted to wait and see. They say that almost a third of Australians live in rental properties and changes to negative gearing would not just affect investors, but renters. Well, there you go. Words of actual sensibleness and wisdom. They say that suggestions by Labour that it will reform stamp duty if it were to win government is also reassuring. Without national leadership to phase out this antiquated tax, it will just be a promise of reform from the introduction of the GST in the year 2000 that remains undelivered. Property owners are still confident in the value of real estate with a new survey revealing most believe that values will increase again this year. The local agent finder real estate sentiment report surveyed 1,300 property owners. That's very specific, isn't it? 1,300 property owners with 81% saying they expect property prices to increase this year with almost 60% of those surveyed predicting an increase of more than 10%. The local agent finder chief executive says that the survey shows Australians were still very bullish about the market's prospects in the short term. The survey also found that COVID is still affecting people's buying decisions, with 27% revealing that they had considered moving because of COVID's impact on their lifestyle. It also found those who had already moved to coastal areas are happier than those who moved inland. This confidence is likely generated from the remarkable resilience of the property market through the pandemic, and many feel that this is likely to continue with the easing of restrictions as Australia opens back up, according to our survey. New house prices are tipped to increase as the cost of building materials does continue to soar. 
rising prices and supply chain issues, which you may have all read about in the newspapers recently, caused by the COVID pandemic and border closures, has resulted in delays to many projects throughout Australia. According to figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the cost of building products went up by 12% in the last 12 months, with some products far exceeding that. Reinforcing steel costs increased by about 43%, imagine that, while structural timber prices are up by more than 40%. Master Builders Association, NSW, Master Builders Association New South Wales Executive Director says that more builders are contacting the organisation for advice on how to get out of fixed price contracts that tie them to prices provided when materials were much, much cheaper. If you're considering building, then you'll have to consider that it will cost more. Someone has to pay for all this, the Master Builders Association have said. You can't ask a business to absorb it. In the end, it's you and me. The number of properties selling via auction has almost doubled in the past 10 years. Isn't that interesting? Domain figures show that auction sales have increased throughout, particularly during the past 12 months, obviously with COVID and the property markets running so very, very hot with 13.3% properties selling at auction. Domain's In Focus Auctions report shows that Canberra chalked up the highest number of auction sales, accounting for 27.6% of its transactions. Melbourne was next, with 25.8% of sales through auctions, and then Sydney with 24%. While auctions are starting to increase in the smaller capital cities, the percentages are still fairly low. Now, I say this all the time, you know, when you look at auction figures for our smaller cities, Brisbane and Adelaide, they are relatively meaningless, in my opinion, because not very many properties are, in fact, sold via auction. So, for example, in Adelaide, 15.6% of sales are through auction, which is followed by Brisbane at 6.4%. Darwin at 3.4, Perth at 1.1 and Hobart at 0.5%. Domain expects the number of auctions to continue to increase. They say that this trend is not isolated to just one city. We are seeing it across Australia and spreading from the higher priced suburbs to the middle and outer suburbs. They say that buyers like auctions as they are very transparent ways of selling property. And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to order a copy of the book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, pick it up on Amazon or Booktopia or anywhere that good books are sold. And you can head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au where you can click on the links and also find lots of resources on property investing, news, hints, tips and videos. We will be with you all again soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. Bye for now.